G'day, it's Phil here. Imagine running a statewide organisation on the basis of a thorough research process where you listen to stakeholders. Sounds sensible, doesn't it? What if that process involved going and talking to thousands of children all across the state to find out what they wanted to know about their lives and then conceiving of an action plan accordingly? Imagine if we did that in a school. Gosh, Helen Connolly is teaching me so much about the intersection of character, the leader of character, and the character of a leader. She's teaching me about children. She's teaching me about the importance of structure and thinking about the way in which we can situate a whole ecosystem around people and place and, and hopefully planet too in an intentionally purposeful fashion. Last time we spoke, we were just about to start talking about what matters to kids, and I'm really, really excited to find that out. So I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little bit about our Series 9 sponsor? Of course, Adriano. A School for Tomorrow is a globally recognised network that supports students, educators, school leaders, and their communities to thrive in the new world environment. Their Circle Global School Research Program continues to design and run large international collaborative research projects that improve outcomes, strengthen culture, and support the people in schools who are serving the rapidly changing world of their own communities. To find out more about how you can come on this journey, you can visit the link in the description or contact their client associate, Kyle, at kyle at circle.education. That's Kyle, K-Y-L-E, at circle.education. Let's go. Hello, Helen. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Phil. Really, really pleased we have this final opportunity to sort of dig deep into your space and to learn from you about what it is that can make a difference in the lives of children. What does make a difference in the lives of children? Uh, being listened to, number one. It's just, I think it's the, um, you know, perennial issue for kids is no one takes us seriously, no one listens to us, and no one thinks we have anything valuable to add. And if we can kind of get to at least addressing some of that, then we can build the trust that's needed to work on the other really, you know, hairy issues. But what we know is that trust is a really important part of um, any relationship. They need to trust that we're actually going to do something when we say we will uh, and we're going to believe them when they talk to us. You know, it's interesting hearing you talk like that because if I cast my mind around all the many, many programs that exist around governance in schools, I wonder how many of them would put up front and centre in a proper governance process, listen to the voice of children. You know, isn't it amazing the notion that we could come up with education that was being done to children instead of education that was being done with and for children? And isn't it remarkable that we would imagine that you could conceive of a process of the transformation of a child into an adult without genuinely listening to them. When you listen to children, they tell you what matters to them. So what are the things that you are hearing from children that matter to them? I might just mention a, another. So in addition to the individual, me going out as me listening, I thought, actually, we need to do this at a more structural level as well. So I have 
what's now known as the postcard project. So it is actually the things that matter. So that's the, the kind of reports that come out of it, but we call it postcards. Every year now, so I think we're going, we're going into year number four, we send out thousands of postcards to eight to 12-year-olds. So primary school kids, uh, and they're four questions generally, and we ask them about what matters to them, and they send them back. I've had the first two years we've done the reports off um, and we had, you know, I think it was collectively 20,000 postcards. <laughs> like we're talking big numbers here. Um, so over the two years, we're just in the process now of analysing the third year, um, which had more than the previous two. So thousands and thousands, maybe 12,000 postcards this year. So I asked them, I just asked them about, um, this, it's on my website if anyone's interested, and they, it's called the Commission's Postcards Project, Things That Matter. There's two reports there. So I can tell in detail what kids are talking about, the things that they want to change, the things that worry them, their aspirations. It's all there because I ask in a very simple you know, little postcard, they get to draw a picture on the front and send me a little message and answer this thing. So, and we're just designing what this year's questions will be. The idea is that there'll be a different postcard for four years and then the cycle will repeat and then we'll be able to match over years that kind of what kids said four years ago to the first one and what they're saying now. So it's kind of got this process of being able to track trends over time directly from their voices so what I get is phenomenal it's just was beyond my kind of expectations I had this idea I thought I could do it but it's actually being embraced we say to schools this is the way, if you want to say that you are connected to your kids and that you're supporting them to have a voice, just at least let them do this, which is them talking directly to the person who represents them in the system. And that's why I know that not being listened to is the number one thing. So they know that the environment, worrying about the environment is huge. Worrying about not having the skills to manage interpersonal relationships. Worried that everyone kind of puts down their um, serious issues as, oh, well, you know, that's just what happens to kids. So this kind of smoothing over of the cracks, it's about... Um, how to be a good friend. It's about aspirations for the future. I've found out so much about kids' uh, job aspirations by just saying, you know, what is it that you think you're good at? What is it that you'd like to get better at? So they're really simple questions. This is, so it's, um, it's available, everything. So the other thing is everything I do is about accountability back to kids. So it's all produced in real time. So if a kid doesn't tell me something today and in five years' time I produce something, they're telling me now I report back within a time frame that matches their interests. Um, you know, a 15-year-old, what a 15-year-old thinks at 15 and what they thought at 10 changes. So we've got to make sure that, you know, they're getting it back when they're 11 or 12, not 15. So it's those kind of things, I think. So, yeah, kids, so we've got some, we've got some individual ways I do it. We've got some structural ways. Uh, and then we create other systems, more formal systems for kids to have a voice. But it's all about that voice. 
And for our Game Changer listeners, the website is absolutely fantastic. It's uh, www.ccyp.com.au. That's ccyp.com.au. You'll find it all there. Um, why, is, why is accountability so important to you? I think it's, um, I'm going to answer this in a pretty strange convoluted way at one level. So one of the things I think is really important is that we understand that the, a good, good problem solving needs content and context. So what adults bring to the table often is really good content, but what we don't have is the context of being a child in the 21st century. So the thing I say is adults, what we need to do is make sure that the content that adults think is really important is not necessarily necessarily the content that kids think is important. So in in kind of working through how to ensure that I get to bring their context and views, I have to make sure that we're asking them things that they can answer and that they uh, think is important. Because there's no point in going asking kids about something that they're, they just don't understand. It's a bit like if someone asked me to um, input into, you know, the nuclear physics conversation, I don't have the, I don't understand. I don't understand the concept. I don't know what you want me to say in that. If someone said, explain to me what it's like in, you know, how to, in your role, then I can talk talk about my role. So I spent a lot of time translating things into things that matter to children. And then when I go to them, I say, this is important because it feeds into this and this impacts on you in this way. So if I'm asking them to input into someone else's process that on the face of it doesn't look like it matters to them, then I want to make sure that they're getting something back. And that's the accountability piece. So the bit that they get back is knowing that I'm not going to just go, thanks for telling me that's great. I'm actually going to do something. I'm going to write a report. I'm going to have it on a website. I'm going to be writing off to ministers. So, I said, so the advocacy part that I do with it is the bulk of my role, um, but that's that accountability, which is why my website's got everything on it. It does indeed, and we're going to follow up a couple of things there in a moment, which I'm going, to, I'm going to give you some back markers to tee off from in a moment about some really, really important things in and around that. I think that what you've been talking about just now is what we would call that sort of both values and value proposition. But again, it comes back to what you talked about in our, in our first episode about integrity, which is that you have to walk the talk. The value proposition is the walk. It's the benefit that you bring to others. And, the, and the, the difference that you make in their lives. And if you can't convince them that what you're doing is actually making a difference in their lives, then it's just words, isn't it? Words are important. If we don't have the right words, we can never frame vision. If we don't have the right vocabulary, we, 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 can't, we can't act in accord with each other uh, and we can't be intentional about what it is that we do. But, but we also have to, to do it. I want, you know, I, I, I want to hone in on, on an issue in particular that I think is really, really important, Helen, um, uh, and, and that I know you do, uh, to introduce in the inner city schools in the United States in the 60s and 70s, when they were trying to work out why whatever they did with teaching and curriculum and pedagogy wasn't working, they had to look more broadly. And that's when they started introducing breakfast programs because if you turn up to school and you're a kid and you haven't had something to eat and you're hungry, how are you in the right place to learn 
in and around that. We have a significant issue in the lives of young Australians and young people around the world, which is around period poverty and which is around menstruation. And it's, it's one of those things that we should talk about, but we probably don't talk yeah. about because there's all sorts of social mores attached to these sorts of conversations that we, 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 we don't really have them. Why is it important for us to know about period poverty, Helen, and why, why do we need solutions around getting girls to school? Really, it's a, a, an issue that um, I kind of peripherally knew about and thought it was, but seriously thought it was a developing country's kind of problem, really. Um, so kids told me they wanted to um, help poor kids. So that's where I started. Help poor kids because we think that um, it's really hard for them to go to school and we think, um, you know, as a community we should look after them. That's the initial conversation with the thousands of kids. Poverty became a, a topic of conversation. I went out and asked thousands of kids again about poverty. And one of the things that came back was period poverty. And I was like quite shocked. So I thought, is this real? Like, is this is this um, as prevalent as it appears? So I went out and did two massive surveys on periods, full stop. So not just period poverty, but the whole notion of menstruation. Three and a half thousand people, I think, young people responded to that. And I wrote this report called Menstruation Matters, and it matters because having a period impacts on school attendance. Um, so there were loads of girls who said they were missing significant amounts of schooling over, you know, their high school years. Uh, and we know from other work that if you're not at school, you can't learn. And so what does that mean? We know that they were then also talking about not participating in sport. So everything from the uniforms to pain to whatever else was stopping them from participating in sport. Again, there's data saying that teenage participation in sport was dropping off. And this had big health impacts for the country. Uh, and then they were telling me that it also stopped them just enjoying life, um, you know, going to cultural events, going to friends, hanging out, doing whatever, um, and work. So this whole thing around uh, girls not being able to access toilets uh, in the workplace was a significant issue. And at school. So the, the whole thing about access, the controlled access to bathrooms in schools is such a fundamental issue So for so many girls that they choose not to go when they have their period. So you took all that. So I've said that period poverty is far more than the physical poverty of not being able to afford um, pads and tampons. This is actually a big issue about gender equity and equality. That's what I'm really interested in. I keep pursuing it. I'm currently doing a whole swag of conversations in um, sporting clubs around how they deal with periods. Um, and interestingly, none of them really talk about it. Uh, but you start to ask girls about what this means to them uh, and they'll say this is the first time anyone has ever asked us anything related to something that happens to us every month for years and years and years it's so significant how come no one's ever spoken about it we try to control the present and the future by clinging on to the past with certain things we just don't think about it i i, I worked for a remarkable educator in uh, in the 1990s in sydney called uh, joe Corollas. um awesome awesome um person and a, and a wonderful educator and a great leader as well too 
and um, working in a school in the, on the surf side in the eastern suburbs in, in Sydney and doing a uniform change. And, you know, if you want to do something really controversial in the school, change the uniform, you know, because, you know. But one of the key things that she was very keen to do was to introduce bike shorts and tailored shorts into the girls' uniform so that they could run around the school, they could sit, etc., and not worry about their skirts and not worry about it, just be in a space. It's that thinking structurally that we talked about earlier, that, that thinking structurally about seeing, stepping back and seeing the whole picture that sits around it and putting the child at the absolute centre of it, I think is absolutely key in and around it. You don't have to convince me about the need for us to be very clear about the sorts of things that we need to do in schools to support all women around this sort of issue. I mean, it's not just an issue for kids as well. Too. It's, it's, it's an issue for staff members as well too. It's an issue for families. And if we're not prepared to take action around it, well, they, these are the things that matter because these are the things that hold children back from learning, as you said. And, and as you said, very, very clear gender inequity issue. And I want to talk about another structural barrier, and that is the experience of being LGBTQ plus in schools, about being a child who is in a school situation where gender norms, norms of sexuality, just don't apply to you. And the reality that we have, that we've got a large group, doesn't really matter the size actually, does it? We've got a group of children whose feeling is that they don't belong within the world that's been constructed for them to live in. And that when we then combine that with adolescence, where we know that mental health in schools is not a peripheral issue, it's a mainstream issue. We know that one in two children in developing countries, by the time they are 18, will have had a clinical episode of some sort of mental health disturbance or, or disease or disorder. Um, the rates around that for being gay uh, or queer, uh, the, the, the rates of attempted suicide, uh, they're just diabolical. Um, we, we, have a, we have a fundamental issue here in schools. This is about the wellness and health of every child. And we allow structures to be perpetuated where kids are at risk, are at greater risk. Give me some wisdom on this because I, I sort of look at this and I, I can recognise that there's a problem there. You're listening to children and, and you're doing advocacy work and you're putting together reports and so on. How can we go from seemingly intractable problem to start to, to make solutions around it? And look, these really big complex problems, um, I think what keeps me up at, awake at night, but also can be um, immobilising often for people because they say they're so big, what can we do? I just want to, you know, again, rather than answering directly, I think there's something um, in what you said about the equity education equity. I'm going to say what it means to me. And I'm not an educator. I'm a, you know, so I think there's a really almost individualistic approach that says that kids who don't quite fit, for whatever reason they're different, that they should change in order to fit into the institution. And for me, equity is about what's the institution going to do to change itself to ensure that that child can actually fit. So rather than it saying this is a round peg and we're a square hole, well, what are you going to do to make yourself be able to fit that round peg? So where whatever that difference is, it's about saying if we say that, you know, one in two kids, as you said, will have a mental illness episode or there's a, a whole range of kids who don't feel that they belong, 
um, there's something wrong. It's not there's something wrong with schools, but schools are part of the solution. But there is something wrong in the, in the kind of foundations of what's happening for our kids, that they're actually kind of going through life and feeling that they're not understood, they're not valued, they're not welcomed, they don't understand the way systems work, they don't have a purpose and they don't have a voice. So I keep pulling my work back to they're the building blocks that we need to get to. So whether it's LGBTQI plus kids who said, you know, we feel we're not necessarily um, targeted but we're excluded by a mission. So people don't talk about us or they don't celebrate the things that we think are important or there's no obvious signs that we're welcome in this space. That's the bit that's, that we can do in schools is to think about how are we making this child feel known? So kids whose parents are from migrant backgrounds, how do their parents feel that their children are welcomed when they walk into school? What's the symbols or signs that would make them understand that their children are safe here and are going to be looked after? I think all of these things come back to some really fundamental kind of things that every teacher, every school can do around, um, around responding to that fundamental needs in kids. So yeah, it's a kind of way around. No, 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 no. I, get, I, I, I absolutely get what you're talking about in here because it comes down to um, the gap between theory and practice because we all accept that children need to belong. Um, it's almost a true... I mean, we, ran, we go on about this all the time. We just sit there and we say, the, the process of building character is about three things. It's about developing a sense of belonging, it's, which allows you to have a better chance at fulfilling your particular potential if you feel as though you belong and are fulfilling your potential you're more likely to do good and right in the world but it all starts with belonging so then the the question is then what might one do about that and again you flip the question around it because so many would say what is the obligation of the individual to fit in and i think there is an obligation on every individual to try and fit in and it's a perceived one as well as a real one i mean there, there is a constant wrestling between what's inside you and who you are as an individual and how you respond to society around that. That's, the, it's, that's what interdependence is all about. Mm. But, at, but at the same time, if the only question is always about what are you going to do to fit in as opposed to how can we ensure that what we are doing is always welcoming, always gives you the best chance to become the best version of yourself. I've talked to, I've, mm. In the last three or four years, I've spent a lot of time talking with kids and teachers in South Africa in their school systems there. And, you know, their teachers, my goodness, they are so earnest and they're so hardworking and they're so diligent and they care about kids and they recognise that for their nation, school is the social structure which has got the greatest chance of affecting the, the transformation that is required so that the needs of the 92% of the population who used to be structurally oppressed and deliberately so you know, there's, there's transformation in there. The challenge with it is that by clinging to very old-fashioned, you know, very conservative sort of things of here's our code of conduct and you must fit in and you must do what you're told, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you've got to say, stop, stop. Where is the voice of the child? Where is their, where is their individual agency? And in where is their advocacy? And it could be anything, couldn't it? It could be kids with disabilities, it could be kids whose sense of who they are is not aligned with the centre of the group. And I think 
I've heard so many, you know, when I, when I was doing the um, poverty report, you know, kids were saying, you know, I turn up to school, um, I've had to get myself up, feed myself, um, you know, there's drugs in the house, like there's just chaos supreme. Kid gets to school not wearing the right uniform um, and gets immediately, you know, jumped on kind of, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Kid then says, you know, you just don't know what I've had to go through to get here and anger, exclusion, all the rest of it. Those kind of things, I think, um, we've just got this weird relationship between the collective and the individual that flips around all the time and it's pretty difficult for kids who are, who are learning this stuff to know, well, which one are we talking about now? Is it, you know, me individually, I'm not wearing the right uniform um, and that sense that you often hear from educators, well, if we let that kid get away with it, then everyone will follow suit. And my thing is, no, that's not how humans work. People don't see someone breaking a rule and then all go, oh, we can do that too. Um, we're naturally quite compliant people and the rules say this will follow them. So it's, we've just got to kind of really start thinking about how those decisions impact on the individual because we've got this thing also that schools are very competitive environments. So they're super competitive in terms of who's doing well, who, what's the reward system like, what gets rewarded. Um, is kindness ever been rewarded? Do you ever get the kid who's just a really good kid, you know, who's a bit of a looking after people in the yard or whatever it is? I think all of those systems that operate within a school, if we really start to think about how they impact on people, um, I think we'll start changing them. You know, we've seen there, there aren't that many schools, but there's enough who still have, you know, reader levels in primary school, you know. The kids know. They'll say to me, oh, so-and-so is on, you know, a yellow and that's at the top, but that kid's dumb because they're at the bottom. This is... When six-year-olds kind of start schooling, talking about this comparing themselves to others, the level of competition, yeah. we know what gets rewarded. Yeah, it's, 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 it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, and so much of what we've been talking about in our conversation um, is about how we wrestle with human nature. We wrestle with our nature inside and it because all of us, we're all competitive. I mean, it's, it's, that's, human beings are competitive. You have to be competitive to survive. But yeah. part of being a human being is to learn where to use your competitiveness and yeah. to, where, where to, to use your sense of performance and high performance and when to ease it back and when to kick it into gear and, and, and how to wrap around it the values of, yeah. how, of, of, of how we show respect. Um, and how to make it aspirational, Absolutely. not debilitating. Absolutely. You know, so it's... It, my, my, my colleague Brad Adams would say a, a great question to ask a school is this a school where we lift each other up or is this a school where we put each other down and I think it's it's a sophisticated discourse around those sorts of things that we need and it requires nuance because again you walk into a whole bunch of schools where well-intentioned teachers have said right competition's bad right we'll remove competition altogether, yeah. and and you and you know they'll 
instead of the, the classes being, you know, 4A, 4B and 4C, it's four apples, four oranges and four pears. And you talk to the kids and they go, oh, yeah, look at those pears over there. You know, they bruise easily. At the end of the day, we need some honesty around this, but we also need a way of talking. We need a way of conversation. I was going to say, one of the big differences that I see, though, um, in my work is the, dif- is the gender difference, just the male-female kind of um, split and what their experiences from very, from you know, reception through the different experiences they have in the school environment uh, and the difference still in terms of uh, inspiration, aspiration, uh, and the use of girls very early on to moderate boys' behaviour, um, you know, the, the the narrative that boys are slower, they're not as organised, girls are compliant and they colour in. So these kind of really dominant kind of narratives throughout the whole of primary school and then what happens when we're in high school where boys saying we're told we can't show our emotions you know like it just goes on and on and on we've got to get to the guts of that stuff oh, we, we do and it but but again it's like the competition thing everything that you're pointing there there is a developmental reason why all of that is raised but what you've identified very correctly is that just because there's a developmental need there's we can't use it for our purposes we can't use girls as the peacemakers that's what a nonsense. Why would you force that on people automatically? It's the same thing as mandating against boy behavior. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's exactly the same. You know, it's a, I, can, I can remember, you know, as a, as a young deputy walking into a school and, you know, we, there was a K to 12 school and we, we were co ed down in the primary and walking in there. And every day I'd walk in, all the little boys in the school were sitting outside on the veranda. And you're just sitting there going, how is that a solution? Yeah. You know, so, so in, in all of what we do, it starts with belonging. And I reckon to get belonging right, we've got to listen first. <laughs> that's what yeah. I'm, that's what I'm, that's a, my big takeaway from all of this. But, it, but, but then we also need process around this and the capacity to step back and look at what we're doing yeah. in these communities of inquiry and practice in schools to make sure that solutions are actually affecting the sort of transformation you're talking about. And we're not just perpetuating things that don't work. So interesting. One of the things that I've really picked up on um, is uh, when I go into schools and I sit with kids, uh, I don't, it's always an hour. It's not more than an hour. Um, And there's a process of asking them something that's easy for them that they all can have an answer to because it doesn't require any knowledge other than themselves. So there'll be a definite process of loosening them up getting to something a bit meaty in the middle and then giving them a sense of, um, you know, happiness and wanting to go out and change the world at the end. So, you know, not super exciting them, but feeling that they're energised. So it's a, it's a, it's a well-thought-out, I put a lot of effort into thinking through those questions and those transitions and how I do that in that process. I... I will say in the most part in high schools, I, I would say I don't, don't want teachers in the room because obviously it impacts on the way kids relate to me. So I engage, I say to education all the time, I engage children as citizens, not as students. So my role is all about their citizenship. We all play roles in different settings. I want to connect to that, not their student role, so I don't want teachers in the room. 
in primary school settings, sometimes I will, depending on the group of kids, I will say a teacher can be in the room present, at the back, not at the table, um, and always and they can't speak. <laughs> They're just not allowed to speak. Invariably, every single solitary teacher I'm allowed to do that at the end of it says, oh, my God, I didn't know anything about these children. Because what they'll tell me is all sorts of things. They are always amazed at how open the children are. Given I've never met them before, um, but just how I can, how the questioning and the process can engage them. So they will talk about. So the teacher will go, "I didn't know that about the kids. I didn't know that they knew these things. I didn't know, uh, you know." So and it's a bit like, well, it's an hour, and I guess I know that they're under enormous pressure. But we've got it, you know, they could do it in less time, but it's a purposeful listening process, um, a facilitated process that I think any, like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, it's not magic, it's pretty simple uh, and it should be done. And then you get to the kind of real core of, of what kids will tell you about if they feel welcome, if they belong, who belongs, why they don't belong, whatever that issue is, they'll tell you about it. Uh, Helen, I, I think it was about 10 minutes ago, I, I sort of foregrounded there was going to be a final question. <laughs> we just kept talking and talking because this is such a good conversation, but it can't go on forever because I know you've got a busy day. I do want to ask that final question, which is that for you, what's the next thing on your agenda? What have you got your sights on right now that if I went to your website, I wouldn't see? Oh, goodness. That's a hard one. I think you know, at a personal level, there's uh, my term finishes in April, so I'm not sure we've got a whole heap of elections and things in between in South Australia. So I'll wait and see whether I get to um, continue on in this role. I've got, I think what I really want to see is the a structure that's given We've created this SASRC, which is the whole state SRC concept. So 100 kids that we can, in year 10, 11 and 12, to really turn them on to thinking that they can actually make a difference in the world. Um, so that's the bit I want to really nail. I want people to see that as a go-to place where they can listen to what kids think is important and we can actually then empower them to take action in local communities. So I've partnered with a foundation for young australians they're putting money on the table we're going to try and create local action groups of young people doing change in their community i think that's the game changer for me there you go game changers imagine that imagine an src on a statewide level imagine an src just in a school that actually allowed kids to make a difference imagine that imagine if we had structures that allowed students to give voice to the stuff that matters where our leadership and our support of them help them to see beyond dances and uniforms and haircuts and, and things like that, which might be a starting point, but there's many more important things that matter. Helen, thank you so much for the opportunity to get to know you and, and to have uh, a chat with you over these three episodes. I've really, really appreciated it. Uh, listeners, you, you won't know this, but, but this is the second time that Helen and I tried to engage in a conversation. And the last time we tried, it was just, it was crisis central going on and Helen was in there like the admiral of the uh, of the fleet going in there and, and uh, 
and sorting all sorts of stuff out. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm really appreciative to have this opportunity to learn from you. I know our listeners will as well. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for your openness to share so much about your story and to help us to understand the character of a person like you and to learn from your experience about the sorts of things that we might be trying to do to take the big step forward and up and make that change for the better in the lives of others. Thank you. It's been painless. <laughs> Thanks, Ella. That's, that's, that's exactly what we want to hear. No worries. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.